Welcome back to The Melancholy Condition. I am your host, Darius Velasquez, and you're listening to Season 3. Enjoy. Here's an ad. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions. How do I record an episode? How do I get my show into all the apps that people like to listen? How do I make money from podcasts? The answer to every single one of these questions is pretty simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. And best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. And that means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. The reason why I love Anchor is just because it's easy. It's simple. It's on my phone. I don't use any exterior hardware. I don't got to do anything really, but just pick up my phone, open the Anchor app, press record, invite my guests, and boom, you have the melancholy condition. So if you want to start your podcast, do so today. Go to anchor.fm. Awesome. So five, four, three, two, and we're live. Welcome back to another episode of the Melancholy Condition. Oh, excuse me. I'm burping up some stuff right there. I'm here with Eli Weinstein. Eli, go ahead and go introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Ellie Weinstein, just here uh, as a therapist, working every day to try to help people with uh, what they're struggling with and uh, help guide them on a path of success and growth. Sorry for mispronouncing your first name, but awesome. I'm so glad you're here, man. Um, no problem. So how long have you been into therapy? So I've been in real as a therapist for almost three years. Uh, doesn't mean I wasn't involved in uh, uh, not classic therapy. I used to work for a youth organization, youth organization with at-risk teens for about five, six years. So, you know, therapy comes in all shapes and sizes. Awesome. Awesome. Was this something that um, you had went to school for? Yeah, yeah. I went to a master's program at Fordham University uh, to become a social worker with a focus on clinical therapy. Nice, nice. You know, there's if there's any degree that I really wanted to get into, um, just because I'm, I'm helping my girlfriend get through school first before I go to school. And um, one I've been really on the fence about is a neuropsychology. That feels That's really good stuff. Yeah, it definitely, uh, I don't know, it just inspires me. So share me with uh, some of the work that you do, man. So uh, right now I'm working in a community clinic, a uh, Medicaid, Medicare clinic. It's called an Article 31 kind of clinic where I work with all walks of life. My youngest client right now is eight and my oldest client is 75. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, big range, big range. My ideal kind of client is is young adults teenager like 13 to 30 mm-hmm. uh just find it a beautiful time in someone's life to kind of help uh either shape guide reframe help them uh gain a mindset or uh self-confidence in themselves um but at the time i don't have um real choice in the matter so whatever i get i work do my best I, that i can with i work with diagnoses from as small or as i hate using the word small or simple because nothing is mm-hmm. but as uh as anxiety to schizophrenia and everything in between and personality disorders and suicidality and all that stuff. What are some of the, I mean, without obviously uh, sharing any client personnel, um, what are some of the like most intriguing things that you face? 
Sure. And uh, I'm more than happy to discuss clients if I'm not going to get into, you know, their names and where they're from, but, you know, just in general, it, uh, that's not against any HIPAA laws. But um, one of the most interesting clients I'm actually dealing with right now is um, a 14 year old kid who is having hallucinations and um, but not not no schizophrenia mm-hmm. and and uh, no medical seizures, no tumors, no nothing like that. And uh, it's pretty sad. It's actually very sad to watch this 14 year old kid trying to function in his daily life as a normal 14 year old kid should be. Mm-hmm. And he's having attacks or as we call it, episodes in school and it's embarrassing. So we're working right now with one accepting the fact that this is an issue mm-hmm. that he's dealing with so that he can try to we can work on the feelings of embarrassment and shame that he's feeling uh, because it's going to take a long time with hopefully a combo of medication and therapy to kind of help with the hallucinations he's having. What kind of like, do, do you know where it's stemming from? Is it like traumatic uh, revisitation? It's a great question. Uh, as of now, we believe he has no trauma. He has uh, not opened up about any trauma. He's had a quote unquote normal childhood raised by both parents. Uh, no deaths, no sexual assaults, no physical abuse, no neglect. Um, we don't know. We don't know. Interesting. That's what makes it. That's what makes it so interesting and scary because, like, we just don't know. Are they like? Um, is it traumatic hallucinogen hallucinations, or is it like um, is he just seeing like a cat walk into the classroom? You know what I mean? Like, I wish. Kind of- I wish it was that easy. Um, no, he's uh, actually having some very serious command hallucinations about hurting himself, and uh, they're yelling like "die" in his head. Really. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, been pretty serious and keeping a watchful eye and having the parents and us uh, talking on a you know weekly basis to make sure that everything's okay. So whenever you're dealing with your cases, what are some of the things that you kind of debrief um, with your clients before, like, for instance, whenever you get a new client, you know what mm-hmm. I mean, to kind of fully understand what's going on and understand what you're dealing with. What are some of the practices that you do to get to that point and how long does it typically take? That's a great question. So first off, when I get a client through the clinic that I work at, um, there is an intake that's already done. Um, So I kind of get a sense of general what's going on with the person's background, why they're coming, uh, what the main issues are. But a paper is a piece of paper. It's not from the person's mouth. Yeah. So I like to just get a clear sense from their perspective why they're there. Um, so I do do a lot of exploratory questioning, um, trying to delve deeper into what's going on. But specifically the first session, like I had a new client today this morning, and it's more about comfort. So I mm-hmm. try to, uh, you know, make a comfortable, smiley, um, even joking around a little bit just to break the tension of a serious problem in therapy versus gaining some comfort with me as a therapist because I can be the best therapist in the world. I could be doing this for 40 years. I know all the tools and tricks, but if the person's not comfortable in my office, nothing's going to get done. Yeah. And you know, I've actually been through therapy um, as a child through a school therapist and like a government therapist, I think Mm -hmm. I was never really explained that situation um and as well like uh with um a counselor over that was at a church um she had her master's degree i believe 
in uh, psychology and that was just some personal things that I was going through and one of the things that like as a child if I had had a therapist like I did recently where she was very honest and you know clear with me very open and not only friendly you know what I mean rather Mm -hmm. than um, just drilling me with all these questions I probably would have been able to resolve some of the things um, that I have been going through pretty early onset you know what I mean because yeah they were pulling me out of class. I remember it was like fifth grade was one day they just pulled me out of class and they were like, all right, you're going to go sit in the office with this person. And I was like, who, I don't know who mm-hmm. this is. And then I spent like weeks um, with this counselor. So uh, my question is, or what are some of the things that you kind of like to do to get people in a comfortable sense? So where they're not feeling like, you know, this is just a, a therapist that I'm talking to. This is like someone that I can trust. Yeah, so some of the things that I try to do, I guess I read, um, I'm, I try to read the person's um, body language. Um, I always offer water or coffee that we have in the, in the therapist lounge. Uh, I have a few seats. I ask them where they want to sit. I let them control the situation and the, um, the room instead of feeling like I am controlling. I always ask them if they have any questions for me or any expectations they have for therapy, what their experiences are, have been in the past. I always tell them that the, the rules that I have in my office are honesty and respect, and I will always give that to them if they give that to me. Um, and more just talk to them like a person. I don't start getting, you know, so tell me about what your mother did to you, or tell me about the time, or I don't get into deep, dark secrets. Um, I try to just talk to them like a person, which is who they are, um, always. But it's not with any goal or any reading into anything. It's more just to get to know them. Like, what's your favorite thing to do? What's your favorite food? Uh, why you, uh, you know, you're in school. What are you learning about? Oh, you do this job? How is it? Just a mm. regular conversation like you would have it with any person, but no goal-oriented thing. Just the only goal is comfort and relaxation. That's good. That's good. Yeah. So for anybody out there that's listening right now that has thought about like, oh, man, I think I think I need a counselor. I think, you know, I'm going through this or this is happening to me. And I just I, I, I can't talk to this about my friends. What are, is a piece of advice that you can kind of give as comfort for somebody to go through therapy? Because I know it's not only is it a hard thing to keep yourself accountable for and actually mm-hmm. take that first step to go in there and, you know, fill out the paperwork. Some people can it can be embarrassing for them. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, and that's a, that's a, and there's a huge movement right now um, for a good reason that therapy is becoming a very popular thing because people are realizing that they need to talk to someone that is not their family, that is not their friends who are actually trained to listen, be objective, to not, no, no judgment. And, and it's all about, I would say the first thing, and this might sound silly, but the first thing is make sure they take your insurance because you want to be able to actually afford it. Because you don't want to have to be, you know, not eating because you go into therapy. Um, yeah. That's not fair to you. Just like we go to a doctor. You don't go to out of, out of network because it costs an arm and a leg just to see a doctor that you could see that doesn't cost an arm and a leg. But I would say from the emotional standpoint, it never hurts to try. And it's about the feel. So if you feel comfortable with the person, that's what matters most. It doesn't matter. For some people, you know, gender might matter depending on what trauma they might have. Mm-hmm. But... I would say try it because if you find the right fit, even if it's for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, it doesn't have to be 20 years you're in therapy, 
it could open you up to some experience or realization that could maybe turn a switch on that could help solve a problem that you've been struggling with for decades or years. And, but I understand that standpoint of, Oh my goodness, I'm talking to some random stranger who I have, who I have no idea who the hell they are and what they might think about me. But the, the thought process is you need to realize that they're being trained to be not judgmental and care about you and your safety and your success. That's the main goal of a therapist. And if they're not doing that, that's not good. So um, with that being said, um, mm-hmm. as a therapist, how long have you been in practice once again? Uh, almost three years. Okay. So with three years of practice, you've probably heard a lot of stories, right? Yeah. And I know one of the number one rules in psychology, I guess maybe I made this up, but I assume this would be a pretty good rule is to not get um, connected to your clients. Right. Cause even after like my therapy, I knew me and my therapist had this relationship where I was like, damn, I'm really going to miss you. Like, you know what I mean? You really helped me clear a lot of this fog that I couldn't get through, you know what I mean? Cause of my anxiety and my depression, it was just causing me to think all these crazy things. And my therapist was like, yo, like chill, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so how do you, with the past three years of your, you know, uh, career, I guess not get attached to like some of the hurtful things people say, not about you, but like the things, the experiences that these people are bringing and you know what I mean? Of course, you feel bad for them because it sucks that mm-hmm. they're going through this. You know what I mean? Because nobody deserves to go through anything any of your clients are going through. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so yeah. How do, you, how do you keep yourself, like, level-headed after every day hearing these different things and maybe not seeing progress in some of your clients? Yeah. So, that, you know, that's funny. That's one of the most common questions I get asked about being a therapist. And... Um, before I was actually practicing, practicing, I had a few internships at school. And one of the internships that I think was the most, the, the turning point of myself, um, I would guess, coming into my own as a therapist was I used to work in Metropolitan Hospital in their psychiatric unit. Uh-huh. Um, I remember the first day I was sitting there and someone was going into extreme depth. I mean, to the T of a train schedule of when they wanted to kill themselves Mm -hmm. like literally the train the time what they were going to wear how many people they were going to wait for to do it in front of very detailed my jaw dropped and i see my supervisor next to me who i have a huge close connection with who has taught me so much um back in the day about four or five years ago um and afterwards i looked at her and i said how the hell did i not, not get to you uh-huh. And she said, I've heard it so many times from so many people that it doesn't phase me anymore. And I remember thinking, and this might not be the classic answer. I remember thinking that's not healthy. Yeah. So the way I'm going to answer your question is sometimes it does get to me. I'm yeah. human. Sometimes I am shaken up when I walk out of a therapy session. Sometimes I cry when the person leaves, sometimes I've cried with the client because they're struggling and suffering and they want to see that you're human and not a robot. Yeah. The biggest lesson. And I have one of my supervisors right now who I will say by name because I love him to pieces. His name is Dr. Stanley Rustin, who is amazing. And he's like 83 years old. He's been working in this field for 40 something years. 
And he told me the biggest key to being a healthy, good therapist is being human. So there are some times where it is frustrating to see a client not progress for a year. Sometimes it's really hard to hear someone have a sexual assault story from that someone in their family sexually molested them. Sometimes it's really hard to see and hear about drug addiction or whatever is, or some suicidal thoughts or depression and anxiety. But I have ways, whether it's, I read a lot that helps me calm down. It's one of my self-care things. I like to drink some tea. Tea helps calm me down. I go to the gym. I do things for myself. I even go to therapy Mm -hmm. because I need my things. But at the same time, having that relationship, I think is key to having a very successful therapy because it is a professional relationship. And the key Mm -hmm. is the relationship. And I I have a friend of mine, a colleague of mine, who literally is uh, leaving the clinic after six years of working there. And she said this week has been the toughest week for her as a therapist because she's saying goodbye to people that she's worked with for six years. That is a huge, that's a huge connection. Even if you were the quietest robotic therapist, you're human. It would still hurt you and break your heart to leave someone who you've helped through so many things for six Mm -hmm. years. So it does get to you. Yeah, that's interesting. That's good that you can keep a level head, though. You know what I mean? And not let those stories bleed into your life. Yeah. Because, I I mean, I feel like it probably takes a special kind of uh, perseverance to be able to... Not everyone can do it. Yeah. Not everyone can do it. Day by day. Same thing with, like, um, you know, one of my cousins was doing a... uh, I think it was tracheometry Mm -hmm. with uh, the, like, throat surgery. Yeah. Um, he was studying for it and I think like close to the last semester or the, his, before his prereqs, he came up to me and he was like, dude, I don't think I can do this. So why not? And he was like, well, cause today in class we had our, um, our seminar over like babies. And he was like, he was talking about all the problems that can possibly happen whenever a baby is born. And he's like, and if something happens while that baby's born and we have to do surgery on it and that baby dies, he's like, I don't think I could do that, man. Yeah. He's like, that's a baby. And he's like, yeah. and I wouldn't, I couldn't have that over my soul. And so I, I assume, you know, being a therapist, there's probably some type of precursors that give you the same type of feeling. You know what I mean? If someone's coming to your office saying, you know, that they're really ready to cut the cord mm-hmm. and you, well, you can only try so hard to make sure that doesn't happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, every single profession has its things. So like, for example, I probably could not be an accountant because one, I suck at math and it would be torture, but two, yep. I couldn't sit in front of a desk and not deal with people. Um, I, I, some people aren't, don't want to be doctors or EMTs because blood or nurses are in the medical field because blood freaks them out. You know, every, every profession has this thing. Some people hate people, so they don't want to work as a mm-hmm. therapist because you have to deal with people. So I happen to know that I've wanted to do this for many, many years. I love people hearing their stories, helping people go from A to B and be supportive. It's something that's been part of me for many, many, many years. But it still has its sucky days. I had an intake that was supposed to come meet me uh, two weeks ago. Now, I, I'm a new dad. And I, uh, my, my baby's six, almost six months old. Congratulations. Thank you so much. And it's an amazing experience. Scary as hell. But I wouldn't trade it in for the world. Is it your um, first? 
my first. Yeah, she's a oh, huge man. blessing. Um, and so the intake was supposed to be with a mother who lost their three-month-old baby to SIDS, which is sudden infant death syndrome, mm-hmm. which means the baby either suffocates or dies in the middle of its sleeping. And Damn. I was sweating before the intake. And mm-hmm. I thank God that she didn't show up to the intake because I was so nervous for my reaction emotionally as being a new dad whose worry is my baby's going to die while it's sleeping. Yeah. So we do have, it's called counter-transference. As therapists, we are humans. We have that interaction with people and we have reactions sometimes if it, if it hits a little too close to home. That's, that's, I don't know, man, that's crazy for me. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard. And that's one of the reasons why, like, I've speculated on the degree that I want. Like, if there was maybe, if I got into neuropsychology, if I didn't have to do one-on-one peer-to-peer, you know what I mean? If I can do more of the analytical research and help you know, doctors understand, um, these severe medical cases, <clears throat> but yeah, man, it's, that's tough. And I wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah. See, I think I would like that more. You know what I mean? Is like being able to work like back end almost is yeah. finding like with neuropsychology. Um, it, not only are you getting your social psychological, um, analysis, you're also understanding like, for instance, people that get in accidents, and you know what I mean? They have their, their hands don't work anymore. And you're yeah. figuring out because it, if, if it's leading to the trauma, like the, the pause in their physical recovery being because of the mental recovery, yeah. not necessarily, you know what I mean? So that stuff, it's really fascinating for me, but still doing the one-on-one stuff, it's frightening to me. <laughs> it, it, some, and some days, some days it is, I look at my case.